Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is our second and final day of the Sustainable Wine Roundtable Global Conference for 2022. Uh, we have an excellent lineup of topics and some very experienced people taking part in our sessions. I will now hand over to my colleague, Dr. Peter Stanbury, who will be moderating our first session today. How is wine adapting to the climate chaos and is it moving fast enough? Peter, over to you. Thanks very much, Tom. Um, and hello, everyone. Um, uh, obviously, the issue here is does one say good morning, good afternoon or good evening? Because it's sort of a bit of everything, depending on where where people are, of which more in a moment. Um, for those of you that might have missed um, the AGM on um, Tuesday, um, just to introduce myself, um, I'm Peter Stanbury. I joined the operations team of SWR in the last couple of months, um, but I've been working in sustainability for probably around 30 years, um, both with international organizations like the World Bank and the UN and the OECD, um, and a whole bunch of different sectors, um, uh, mining, um, oil and gas, retail, and, and most recently I've been working um, in sort of smallholder agriculture, and I sit on Nestle's advisory board for their um, $1.3 billion uh, cocoa program. Um, anyway, um, to today's session, or the first session, um, the title, How is Wine Adapting to Climate Chaos, may sound sort of slightly overdramatic, um, but I think, you know, we only need to look at um, the experience of one of our members who was unable to attend this week um, because her Italian vineyard got hit by hail last Friday and destroyed 40% of the crop. So this is, this is very much a real issue. And I was in Malawi and um, uh, Zambia earlier in the year, and the growing season used to start when the rains came in November middle of November and this year the rain didn't appear till January so you've got a, a, a growing season that's shortened by um, you know the very you know, nearly nearly two months so I don't think climate chaos is um, is an exaggeration um, and to what extent is the wine industry moving fast enough to cope with the effect it feels on itself and as Tom said we've got a, an excellent panel um, here today um, we'll come to their geographies in a moment because that is material to how we're going to look at this session um, but we have um, Mafalda Gredes, who's the corporate corporate brand and communications from Sogreep, Anna Hooper, who's the manage, manager of industry policy for Australian Grape and Wine, uh, Professor Hans Schulz, who's the president of the Hochschule Geisenheim University, and Luis Reginato, who's the vineyard manager of Catena Zapata. Now, the reason I say I, I sort of said I'd come to the um, geography later is because without finding a vineyard somewhere in Micronesia, we've got um, speakers today who are about as far apart geographically as it's possible to be. Um, Hans is in the southwest of America. Um, Luis is in Latin America. Anna is in Australia. And Mafalda is sort of three, four hundred miles south of me. She's in Portugal. So what I one of the things I think we're all finding very interesting, um, particularly, for example, with the standards work we're moving forward on, is how you get issues which can be regarded as generic globally, but the specific local manifestation of those is very, very different. So what I've asked for each of the panelists to do is to speak from their own particular experience and to, to sort of start off trying to answer these, these two questions. How is wine adapting to climate chaos? Um, and is it moving fast enough? And to, to look at it very much from their own local specifics. Uh, and my usual process, as I was explaining to the panelists, is to sort of basically work along my screen, um, and which means that, Hans, you're up first. Okay. Yeah, well, thanks for, <clears throat> for having me on the, on the panel. Um, 
one of the reasons why we joined uh, Sustainable Wine Roundtable was uh, because we're an academic institution and it makes a big difference whether you're in the industry. And in my impression, um, the climate change issue is for one part largely uh, driven by industry members who are trying to change something for themselves. But um, representing an academic institution, um, that's exactly one of the key points um, we are a little bit missing on a larger scale, that the academic institutions are not actually members of these type of uh, uh, initiatives, which they should be because all the problems or most of the problems to be solved um, need to be specifically solved by the next generation. So um, getting all these aspects in teaching programs, uh, in transfer programs is, for my opinion, one of the most, uh, most pressing uh, issue. Um, aside of the fact that it's, it's, it is very good that a lot of industry initiatives, like the Porter Protocol, and there are many others, um, are happening. And um, so this is actually what my uh, uh, issue is. The second one is if, um, I'm also president of the uh, Environmental Sustainability Climate Change Group in the International Organization of uh, Vine and Wine in Paris. And one of the biggest issues, oh, getting dark behind me, uh, one of the biggest issues is um, how do we get 48 na member nations to follow uh, um, on the path of changing more rapidly the framework for um, climate change issues. So, um, and that is extremely difficult because the OIV is working on the consensus um, pathway. So it's only possible to move, say like legal frameworks, um, if everybody is actually uh, on the boat. And that is actually a process which is taking too much time. It's just too slow. And um, so for my uh, thing to do on an international um, basis is one thing, having the teaching basis is the second one. And of course you're right, the, the issues are so different, whether I'm, I'm talking about uh, German conditions or you're talking about uh, um, Australia, uh, um, South America or, or the United States. The reason why I'm in San Diego right now is because of we just had the American Society of Viticulture Genealogy meeting, and the the first uh, part uh, the first day was on climate change. So, and the issues, of course, in California are different from the issues like in, in southern France. So, um, it, and one thing for just for for the end of it, um, what is also missing if you side of the teaching part what's also missing is research research is um looking traditionally at very very tiny specific windows because that's the way ac academia worked so uh, if you want to be fast in academia you just stick to one small slot and you work on it for you all your life and then you advance a lot you have a lot to publish and that's exactly the wrong way to do things what we do need is a holistic view, and we do integrative. Uh, we do need integrative, uh, interactive um, um, projects which involve a lot of different disciplines. Otherwise, we will not move forward in giving the the industry solutions which they are actually um, looking for by themselves.
Okay, thanks very much indeed, Hans. Uh, and yes, I can. I, I know what you say when it's academe um, can end up being quite focused. When I started my doctorate, my supervisor said the the process of a doctorate is knowing more and more about less and less. Um, so I think, and as you say, that's not always helpful when when what's needed is a, is a more joined up approach. Um, right, thank you for and, and now we're going to um, to whiz right the way around the world from four fifty in the morning to about half past nine at night to um, Anna Hooper in Australia. Um. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Hans says. Um, I think it's really important that we collaborate when it comes to, to research. Um, where that's happened successfully, I think, is when we've been able to establish a common question. And as Hans said, there's, there's so, we're all so unique that it can, that can be a difficult thing to do. It can be difficult to not only agree on a variety but also define what the problem is and whether it's actually relevant in, you know, all over the world in not only different time zones but totally different sets of circumstances where the environmental or sustainability priorities might be, be quite different. But that said, it can happen, and I know that we've worked, our research organisations have worked with Geisenheim on projects that have been successful. I also think it's really important that we have interactive projects which involve co-design with the industry so the results are actually relevant um, when it comes to uh, the question about whether we're adapting quickly enough and what the issues are in Australia, I think we've seen, we've had issues with heat waves, obviously, like prolonged periods of 40 degrees, which wreak havoc with, um, with vintage. We've had droughts, we've had floods, we've had bushfires. Um, and they all, I think they really impact the, the wine industry and perhaps more so than other industries for a number of reasons. One is because uh, the warmer climate brings brings the season forward into even warmer weather, so it's kind of like a positive reinforcement. But also wine is such a, a product that's so dependent on its quality attributes that when the climate changes a little bit, it has a big impact. And so for that reason, I think we have, like we as an industry, we have made an effort to adapt when it comes to trying to survive, but I still think that there's a lot a lot more that we can do uh, with in terms of R&D that's relevant to our adaption to climate change in Australia. The fact that we've been hard hit by the impacts of climate change means that we've done um, a fair bit of work spanning at least 20 years in, in including lots of different techniques to improve irrigation efficiency, better forecasting of climate extremes so we can take measures earlier in the season. Um, understanding the effects of lower winter rainfall and how we can we can respond to that and we've also developed a, a climate atlas so we can we can get a better understanding of which varieties um, are going to, to work in a in a long-term climate outlook situation so yeah I think we've done a lot of work in adaption in terms of how we produce and how we what we need to do to survive but there's a lot more to do um, in the future in terms of the other aspects of managing climate change and our, our product and our whole supply chain. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, that's an interesting point, isn't it? You know, that to what extent um, are those um, areas of the world where these climate challenges have been felt most, felt soonest and strongest? You know, to what extent can others learn from that? To what extent is their, their learning available there? Um, right, we're going to go. Um, 
uh, across the Pacific um, to Luis. Oh, hello, everybody. Um, in my opinion, uh, adaptation is different depending on where you are. Every place has different conditions and have to do have to deal with different priorities. Uh, I agree with Hans and Anna that uh, um, collaboration is very important, especially if you do uh, research. Uh, for example, we have a we are part of a, a study called Septentrion study with Professor Benjamin Bois studying the effect of climate and water stress in Chardonnay and Pinot Noir in different regions in the world, in almost uh, all the continents and all the, the, the regions. And it's very important because you study the same variety uh, in different climates with different conditions and how they, uh, what's the behavior of the variety. And then you can see what could happen in the future. So I think uh, research and collaboration between uh, wine regions is very important to uh, kind of predict the future and, and see what would happen in your area in the future. Uh, also, I, I have a big hope in the human brain that can develop technologies to deal with the, with the climate change. Uh, between mitigation and adaptation, I think we, we will get technologies uh, doing research and we will deal with this change uh, in, a, in, a, in, a good, in a good way, the good exit. Um, there are some obvious adaptations. I will give you some examples that we do here in Argentina. There are some obvious adaptations that uh, I think every, every country is doing, depending on, on the priorities. But um, moving from, from flood irrigation to drip irrigation is very obvious and very good. Uh, doing uh, using drought uh, tolerant uh, rootstock is very important. Uh, I when I started, uh, I left the university with my degree. Uh, the rootstock that were used uh, were more uh, kind of flood resistant. Now are drought resistant. So uh, there there is a there are a lot of. Um, um, changes that we can do, and there are tools that we can use. Uh, better suited varieties, um, very important. There are places that we're using uh, some varieties, they can use different in the future, more adapted to um, a, a warmer climate. Uh, but then there are some specific studies that we are doing, like uh, subsurface uh, drip irrigation. Basically, you 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 bury the, the, the drippers and you lose uh, less uh, water for evaporation. And sometimes that can be 10%, 15% of water, and, and that's a lot. Also, Mendoza, my region, is very dry. So if there is not irrigation in the surface, if there is not humidity, water, uh, weeds don't develop then having the, the drippers uh, underground, the surface is dry, you have less pressure of weeds, and then you save um, fuel and, and mowing control for the weeds, and then you avoid um, 
emissions. Uh, also, in Argentina, we, we had the luck to have a, a big um, diversity, genetic diversity in the, the different population that we have for different varieties. We have uh, pre-philoxeric uh, populations and massal selections of Malbec, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Semillon, different varieties that came here to before the phylloxera in Europe. Uh, this big variability of genetic, I think, is very important for the future. In, in Catena Zapata, for example, we have more than 100 different clones uh, of Malbec, and almost 100 are already virus-free. Uh, we are working on that, cleaning the, the material from viruses. And we are now starting uh, different lines with the, of study with these clones, uh, uh, doing trials of, uh, for example, frost uh, resistance. So some are, when you have this variability in the genetic, then you can find um, some of them more adaptive for high yield, low yield, more, more quality, and more tolerant for frost. Some of them that bad break uh, later in the year, in the season. So there are many things to do. And I think um, uh, collaboration is uh, between the countries is very important. And, and we have to use the, the brain and, and find the solutions. And I, I'm a, a very optimistic uh, for what we're doing here, especially here in the round table with all my colleagues. Thanks very much indeed. That's uh, that's um, extremely interesting. I mean, it, it's interesting sometimes how, uh, as you as you were just pointing out with the, the underground dripping, that that it's not all necessarily bad news. That there can be by adapting cleverly, you can sometimes find ways in which you solve two problems at the same time, which is which is very interesting. Um, uh, so we're now uh, moving um, now across the Atlantic um, to Portugal uh, to Mafalda. I'm from So Great. So um, over to you. Hi, Peter. Thank you very much for inviting me to join the panel today. Um, well, I totally agree with, with what was said um, here, but I, I think that science is developing at an appropriate pace, but I think the adoption by the sector is, is, is slower. Um, and I think that businesses are still investing more in mitigation rather than in adaptation. And I think that the inversion of this is urgent. Um, some of the reasons why I think this is happening is because I think that uh, too many companies and sectoral organizations are still downplaying science and don't understand the risks that we are facing with climate change. Um, there's also an underqualification of the workforce, so they do not know how to read these data and work with statistics and probabilities, uh, which would be helpful to, to make provisions for the future. Um, and on another side, I think that gov governments as well are too focused on mitigation. And so this has led to an undercut on the investment and adaptation. And so again, the sector is late in adapting. But uh, an important thing here, what I think is that both mitigation and adaptation require the stopping and the loss of biodiversity. And this is something that SOGAP is, is uh, really focused on. So ever since, since our, our, our creation, so we, we were created 
1942. So GAP has also had a, a very uh, big stake towards the environment, towards the planet. And so we've been focusing a lot and in investing um, in R&D. And as you said, it's important to share knowledge. It's, it's important to collaborate, to work together. And I think this is a very important focal point. That's uh, the more things that we do together as an industry, I think the bigger the impact and the, the solutions that we will achieve. And so we have to share knowledge. We have to share the experience from the fields. Um, and this is something that we've been doing. Uh, for example, regarding this, uh, with Porvid, we've been, um, we're pioneered in the conservation and the recovering of ancient uh, and natural genetic diversity. So we have identified more than 250 um, grape varieties which are native to Portugal. We have 30,000 clones and we are working towards the objective of having 50,000 clones of these varieties, which is very important to, to, for here for the adaptation towards climate change. Uh, we're also conducting uh, in numerous studies in biodiversity and ecosystem inventories across our vineyards so that we have uh, here, uh, we learned how, how to have a more nature-boost management. So uh, I think that at Sograp, we, we've always taken in, in consideration the need and the urgency to adaptation. And, and well, there are, there are a lot of examples of things that we've been doing, but uh, for example, we, we use nanotechnology in the control of our great maturation. Uh, we have space uh, technology in the control of the growth cycle. So I think it's it's urgent that companies uh, start to to um, acknowledge the risks that we are facing, that we start to uh, work together to share and to collaborate more, because I think this is a problem that doesn't affect only us individually, but it's the sector and, and the planet. So we have to work together. It's It's something that we must do. Great. Thanks very much. Thanks seem to have an echo somewhere. <laughs> um, thanks for that. Um, now, as I said, at the, or rather as Tom said <coughs> at the top of the event, if, um, if there are um, comments, questions, please do put them in the chat box. There's a, there's a couple coming in and um, Etel, I'll come to you in a moment, but please do put questions in because this isn't just about um, up, up, us, us up on the proverbial stage talking. We do want, um, we do want the feedback from everyone in the um, in the audience, but I've just got a couple of points I want to come to, back to the panel um, on. I mean, what was interesting is that um, Mafalda, you're saying that you still think that there's not enough adaptation going on, whereas Sir and Anna and Louise were basically were saying, well, we we think we've done quite a lot. So I guess the question is, and this I suppose it's to start off with Anna and, and Louise. Are there any, you know, big, this is a real challenge questions um, in the sense of we, we, we feel we've done quite well here, here and here. Um, but, the, you know, wh where are the, the real head scratches uh, where you, even if you think you're doing a reasonably good, jo good job on adaptation so far, that you, you, you really perceive there to be a major remaining challenge? Luis, do you want to start, start off on that one? Yes. Um, well, in... Specifically in, in my region, the, the big problem is the water. Um, we get water from, from rivers and aquifers that come from the, the Andes. Uh, we have seen, the, as everybody knows, the glaciers going back, uh, getting less snow in wintertime. And basically, well, less water in the rivers means less water available for irrigation. Uh, I, as I told you before, we are um, moving from unrooted vines. That is, uh, is the, the most common here in Mendoza. We, we don't have the phylloxera problem. So most of the vineyards are unrooted. 
but now we are moving with this uh, rootstock that are drought tolerant. Um, we are now doing this um, subsurface uh, drip irrigation that, um, of course, is very um, it's very different depending on the area. Like if you compare this experience in other regions, they say no, there are animals underground that are beating the the pipes and breaking. And well, here in Mendoza, so far we don't have those animals. And but I don't know. We are we are trying. We are doing research. We we need more time. Uh, but I think water is the the main problem. Then um, the water need. You know, weather stations. Uh, measuring the water holding capacity of the soil, doing very detailed uh, soil mapping. I mean, using technology, I think is the, the, um, the best way to, to, to fight uh, climate change. Um, better suited varieties, better suited clones. Uh, as I told you before, having this uh, variability in genetic uh, because today is uh, global warming, maybe the future will be frosting uh, uh, global <laughs> world. I don't know. So that can change. And uh, but today our main problem is the water, um, and we are uh, doing different trials to 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 save water. And this is, this is our our main problem. Anna, over to you next. I think um, in terms of adaption, Louis and I both talked about adaption as a wine sector. Um, but just to clarify the differing of opinion, I think adaption of, a wine, of the wine sector, yes, we're doing a lot. We probably need to do more. But as a planet, no. I mean, I think we're, we're doing our best, but, I mean, it's, it's going to take a lot for the planet to adapt to the changing climate. I mean, um, in terms of biodiversity loss and all those types of things that we can contribute to a little bit, but um, that's a, it's a totally, it's another whole topic, I think. Um, I think in Australia, we're, we're like, like Louis mentioned, we're doing some of the same types of things with looking at subsurface drip irrigation and uh, drought tolerant rootstocks and, um, and just, you know, precision irrigation where we're putting different irrigation timing on different blocks and timing it better to irrigate when the power, you know, power costs less or when the sun's not, you know, there's less evapotranspiration. There's there's a lot of stuff that's happening. But at the same time, there's a lot of the um, new technologies have been in place. There's a whole lot of new technologies that I look at that I, I ask myself why they're not happening more quickly. Um, one, for example, is the fact that a lot of countries in the world now have the ability to uh, or have access to disease-resistant grape varieties where we don't need to, you know, we only need to perhaps spray once for sulphur because they're resistant to downy and powdery mildew, yet we're not seeing them taken up quickly nor embraced because apparently they're hard to market because we can't name the varieties and I think, yeah, it's frustrating to see slow progress on these things which have an amazing opportunity to have, one, help us adapt but also have really positive benefits for the whole planet by reducing the amount of emissions that we put out, by reducing the amount of chemicals that are needed on, on vineyards. So I think there's a lot of 
there's a lot of science that should be taken up more quickly and I think part of what will make that happen is to see greater acceptance and greater encouragement and and the other thing I touched on before is is packaging and that's probably one of the other really good examples of where why are we still using glass packaging and I know why we are it's because we all think that that's what the consumers want and you know I think back to the I started my career in sort of the mid to late 90s and we saw the screw cap um, revolution which I think I hope I'm not out of line in saying was perhaps led by Australia and I think it was actually the Clare Valley where I was working at the time where they you know banded together and, and made a change and led a change and you know I'd like to see more of that and I think a lot of it comes from consumers, retailers and a little bit further down um, the supply chain where, you know, people come together and accept accept change more quickly. No, um, those of you that were at the AGM will know that one of the research areas we're focusing on in the next year is precisely about issues issues to do with packaging. Uh, and I think the point you make about um, screw tops, I think, is a, is, is, is a useful one in the sense of it, it shows that what has always been the case does not need to be always the case moving forward um no. it's, and it's i think pleasure. particularly people that are drinking wine every night it's not about the romance of opening the bottle i'd probably right i say they'd rather actually be able to uh, know that the bottle's gonna you know if it's a if it's a cask wine for instance that it's it's going to last longer in the fridge it doesn't have to last five years though <laughs> wine doesn't last five minutes in my fridge but there we go um, no, but you know, it's a it's a dream that we can all work towards. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, going to come to a couple of questions from the from the audience. Um, comment from Etel, um, you know, talking about the estimates for the um, decrease in area available for viticulture. Um, you know, apparently estimates suggested as much as seventy three percent in wine producing regions could be unavailable by twenty fifty. Uh, and so, what she suggested is um, a sort of a how might we put together an adaptation kit. Um, you know, what would need to be in that um, in order to be able to cope with that that type of shift? Um, Hans, I'm going to come to you first on that one. What would a what would a what would a, a climate adaptation kit look like for vineyards across the world? Yeah, first, first, I want to to make a comment on a lot of these studies, which uh, do uh, suggest that the um, Mediterranean will lose 50 percent of uh, uh, surface area and these shifts, which kind of started with a paper from uh, two, 2013 in uh, Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, Hannah et al. And one of the biggest mistakes uh, in these type of uh, analysis is that they base their views on the adaptation of a certain variety on the fact where those varieties are grown right now and what kind of temperature regime do you have. And automatically, they conclude, as soon as you move out of that window, it will not be suitable anymore. That's the first mistake, because we do not have a lot of information on the plasticity, meaning the adaptive ca capacity of individual varieties um, to these changes. That was one mistake which was done by the uh, science, and, and in fact, the scientific community. And if I listen to that you have the, all the clonal diversity, that's in fact exactly yeah, the response to this, right? So at first I'd say, look at these studies with caution um, because they are not always perfect. 
and you really need to know, understand what is in the background. Um, the second one is uh, the, the thing, the kit, if you want the kit. You all talked about genetic diversity of the clones, right? But one of the biggest pressing issues, in fact, is an international um, effort to go to rootstocks. The rootstocks we are using, uh, which we term drought tolerant, most of them have been bred like 100 years ago. Yeah. So the fact we have programs maybe in California where they looked at Pierce's disease and all uh, in these type of issue on nematodes, right? But the fact is the rootstocks we are using across, across the globe um, are, have been released maybe, well, as I said, maybe 50, 70, 100 years ago. And there's a lot of genetic diversity out there where these rootstocks actually came from, which needs to be exploited again. Because the genetic uh, background, say, for, for all our rootstock, or for most of our rootstock in the southern United States, has been exploited maybe twice by people who went there, selected some uh, plants, selected uh, seeds and stuff like that, and, made, uh, um, and started a rootstock breeding program. The fact is that we individual institutions do not have the capacity to do all of this, so we need to have an international effort to look and go back get this um, um, selection process going, and then use all the modern techniques which we have available in genetic screening to do a fast analysis. Because that water issue, which was come, coming up uh, here, that is probably the most pressing one for, for a lot of areas. And we cannot afford, in fact, that areas which are not depending on irrigation, are considering irrigation as an option because down the road in 50 years, irrigation for these regions will not be an option anymore because you need that particular type of water for other products. And wine is uh, uh, maybe not for us, but uh, it is uh, a luxury product, right? And so the adaptation kit, and what we haven't talked about is, is soils. Right, um, the soil initiatives which have been launched um, are, are nice. That uh, we have the Australian uh, Carbon Reduction Fund, we have the the, the California uh, uh, Soil Health Initiative, we have the European um, Carbon uh, Initiative, which just has been released for agriculture. The fact is, well, it's nice to say, okay, let's store some carbon in the soil and help the planet, but uh, you need to be very specific to individual situation and individual growing situations to give advice. How can you do it? How can you achieve it? Because the back point is that all the grape growers would say, okay, I'd like to do that. Tell me how. And this is one of the biggest issues. We do not have a lot of answers in this. Um, and yeah, so don't want to take too long. The, the, the adaptation kit. And then, I think one, one thing we really also have to look at, if you talk about disease-resistant varieties and that they are slow in adaptation, the glass which was uh, put forward by Anna. Um, one thing in general which is lacking um, for agricultural products is in fact, uh, what, is, what, what are the real, the true costs of this product? Because what we're seeing is that what we're paying for the consumer and we want, we want market. But what we're not seeing is the environmental added costs which are hidden, which have to be paid by the general public through tax and so forth, like, uh, you know, groundwater pollution and all this kind of stuff. So the true cost um, of a product. And 
no matter in which agricultural commodity you're working on, um, finally, it would boil down to the fact that we have to move towards this true cost um, quantification. Then, of course, the consumer has to pay for this. That's going to be the biggest issue. Uh, is he going to willing to pay for this? Um, but other than that, and it has to become has to be top down, and not only bottom up. Like bottom up, like you you know, companies are doing uh, a lot of thinking, um, uh, doing a lot of things. But it also has to become top down because otherwise we will never reach the small structured viticultural areas, which, for instance, we have a lot in Europe, right? Um, so, and knowledge is, from my my opinion, still one of the, the biggest issues uh, in a package. Okay, thanks very much, Hans. Uh, Mafalda, what's your, your view on this? What would uh, a sort of adaptation kit look like? Um, well, I think, I think this is a difficult question because I think there are so many things that could come into this adaptation kit uh, and to select some, uh, well, I hope I'll select the... the the better ones, but as Hans was saying, so I think there's this problem with water, uh, and, and well, we have to do something about it. And and uh, and as Luis was saying, with this um, drop to drop irrigation, I think it's something that we have to have a lot of attention because with the with the climate becoming warmer, the regions are becoming drier, and this will affect the quality of the production of grapes. So we have to have available water, but we have to manage uh, water um, efficiently. Again, the soils. Uh, I think this is a very important point. Uh, at SOGAP, for example, for the last 20 years, we've been certified in integrated production. And this means that we have a set of rules and guidelines uh, uh, for, the, for the usage we have of the soil and what we use, uh, the chemicals or the pesticides we use with the soil, because this is really important. We have to bring nutrients into the soil and, and, and to, to conserve uh, the terroir that we have there. Uh, and finally, the grape varieties, as I was saying, uh, these clones, this work we're doing with, with Porvid, it's, it's a clonal selection, which um, consists in selecting a group of grape varieties, all from the same grape variety, and planting them mixed, um, because the, 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 the different clones will bring more stability to this genetic selection. And so we'll have less challenges facing climate change, so uh, the climate, the weather, the water. And this will bring you better resilience um, without having to use different grape varieties from the ones you're... you're, you're uh, you, you have native, so we can continue to use the Toriga Nacional in the Douro, but we have different clones which will adapt better to the different situations that we have. So I, I think there are a set of initiatives or uh, uh, ideas that we have to put in this adaptation kit. There are so many things. Um, well, I, I, could, I could continue here for hours, but uh, I think these are a few of the, the most important ones. Okay, well, you talk about clones. That then brings me to another question that's come from the audience. Um, because, um, and this is also to you, Louis, um, that strictly speaking, clones result in the same DNA being present in all the clones. Can you explain how cloning is working in practice in relation to adaptation? So uh, how are the clones different, I suppose, is the question. Louis, do you want to pick up on that one first? Yes, I, I think that, I mean, it's the same variety. I, I, I think I understand the question. Uh, it's the same variety, for example, the collection of Malbecs that we have. But they, there is an, um, a phenotypic difference uh, expressed in different characteristics. It can be higher yield, like uh, more berries per cluster, for example, um, more vigorous vines, less vigorous vines, the, the, 
the shape of the leaves are different. I mean, still the same variety, the same, the same DNA. Um, and cloning is not, um, it's not that we produce clones. We select existing clones from a population uh, from different, about different characteristics. Uh, like we have uh, clones that produce uh, one kilo of fruit per vine and some produce 20 kilos per vine. And this is the variability. Um, I, I really like what Hans said about the, the, that we, we should explore. I mean, we as a, as a wine industry, uh, especially the research uh, departments, investigate deeper the um, variability in the rootstocks. Because I agree when they were developed many years ago, I think the, the main problem was the phylloxera. And they, uh, they had to address that problem, phylloxera. And they did uh, successfully in a very um, um, uh, eco-friendly way. You know, just put in this rootstock. You don't need to use pesticide, nothing. Uh, and I think there is a, there are some uh, like Vitis rupestris very adapted to drought uh, situations. So there must be a variability in, in G DNA genes that uh, are more adapted. And I think it's a good. And also, what has said about has Hans said about the um, the cost of production and the cost of the water and the resources for the future. I, I do agree that wine will be has to be more expensive, and I think everything has to be more expensive because we are we are um, spending uh, our world also producing you know our resources, not only the cost that you pay. Uh, I like that idea, and I and I share with Hans that uh, concept too. Okay, thanks, Lisa. Mafal, do you want to come back on that one as well in terms of um, that question around uh, cloning and genetics? I mean, the way Luis has described it, it sounds a little bit like if you're breeding animals, you, they're all, I don't know, black Labrador. They're all black Labradors, but you might breed for ones that are slightly smaller or larger or a longer snout, or is that, it would be the analogy. Yeah, um, the grape variety is the same, but hmm. it has different clones. So they have different characteristics within the same grape variety. So the, the way they adapt to different terroirs will be different uh, because there are so many different clones. So if you plant them mixed together, uh, the effectiveness and the resilience that they will have towards this climate change will, will be better because you can select the ones that will adapt better to the, to the place where you are. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks for answering that. Um, wrapping back to, I mean, actually a point that, that Hans raised, but at least you just picked up on, is this question of... Um, as it were, uh, bringing into the price of not just wine, but other agricultural commodities, the externalities, you know, and that could be to do with human rights, that could be do, to do with um, other, you know, environmental considerations. Um, I mean, Togo and I worked last year on a, on a big project looking at smallholder commodities. And, you know, the, the difficulty is you get a cocoa bean that's produced sustainably and a cocoa bean that's produced normally in the international market get valued the same. Whereas, in fact, this should be much greater because all of those issues to do with um, living wages, to do with environmental uh, management are not currently priced in. Um, the question that that begs is the extent to which wine ought to or is working with other agricultural sectors. Um, I'm going to come to you on this one, Anna. Um, 
I mean, obviously, Australia is, is famous for a wide range of agricultural production. To what extent is there overlap in the sorts of initiatives that you're engaged in, the sort of work you're doing, and that which is being undertaken by other um, um, agricultural producers in the country? Uh, what more could be done and how, that, how might that be brought about? Yeah, at the moment um, in Australia, we've got what's called the Agricultural Sustainability Stewardship Framework, which is really aimed at trying to, in, I suppose in much the same way that um, the Sustainable Wine Roundtable is trying to bring together the wine industry, we're trying to bring together ag sectors so we can develop some common common standards or common language reference um, uh, documents for what, we, what we're talking about when we're talking about sustainability, because I think that's probably one of the barriers at the moment is sustainability is such a broad term. It needs to be to some extent because we all have different priorities, but then it can't, at the moment it's so broad that no one really understands it. So, yeah, in Australia we, we have um, that stewardship program um, that's been developed by the Australian government and we also have what's called the common... Um, common uh, the CSIRO, our um, Commonwealth um, Institute for Research organisation, is developing some common methods for um, for carbon accounting. Um, as Hans mentioned, our um, we actually have a really well regulated uh, carbon trading market in the um, Emissions Reduction Fund as well, which is, I mean, that's not just cross-sectoral or cross-agriculture, um, but it, in terms of carbon farming, it brings in um, a common, some common methodologies across agriculture. Uh, yeah, I suppose in terms of the whole concept of how, um, you know, what's in the adaption toolkit and how, how that relates to this, I think, I think environmental markets you know, have emerged as a really good alternative to relying on government funding in terms of the fact that they encourage people to innovate and find the most efficient ways to, to manage their environmental footprint. And now we're seeing, I, I think this is probably something that's happening globally, but in terms of uh, encouraging uh, adaption and, and mitigation, I think we're seeing things like sustainable investment, um, sustainable finance, green loans, the banks are offering incentives to, for people to um, be able to development, to, uh, sorry, demonstrate their ESG credentials. Um, and this is a really good way of, I mean, in, in essentially this should be, this should be, the, the, or the, the, the public needs to pay a bit like what we've been saying about the fact that that that's not factored into the cost of a bottle of wine at the moment, but I think all these uh, tools are sort of you know adding to our ability to make everyone pay for pay for sustainability in a way that also encourages efficiency, whether it be the customer in terms of purchasing something that makes them feel good because they're doing the right thing for the planet, or whether it be uh, through the way people are buying buying or investing um, and, you know, hopefully eventually by invest, investing more sustainably will receive a better return in the long run, I think. I think these are all a whole lot of different tools that we need in our toolbox to try and reward people for, for their investments because, let's face it, at the end of the day, for 
for, for to, to, to get change, there needs to be a business case for people to do so. Okay, thanks for that, Anna. Right, we have um, about a minute left. So I'd like Luis, Mafalda and Hans just to say about 20 seconds each on what you think there is to learn from other sectors. Uh, Hans, start with you. Remember, 20 seconds. From other uh, sectors? Oh, um, well, actually, one of the goals is uh, from the SWRT <laughs> is actually find a common denominator. So the, like, the carbon footprint or this, the, the, the requirement for wine can be compa uh, comparable like cocoa uh, with other commodities to make them for the consumer to make it more, more trans transparent because we have so many certification kits. It's just the consumer is just completely confused. He doesn't really know what sustainable financing, where to rely on. And I think that that is something we can, we should learn. I don't even know whether we can learn it from a different um, uh, sector. How, um, how good uh, are the other sectors? I'm, I think they are all on the way and they're all looking for, for, for getting better. Okay, uh, Luis, you, you next. <clears throat> uh, other sectors, like um, <clears throat> what I have been doing, for example, is uh, start about the, the carbon sequestration. Is studying uh, how can you uh, take the, the carbon from the air and, and for a long period of time uh, blocked, let's say. Uh, in, in learning, is, I think the trees, producing trees is the, the best, one of the best ways. Uh, in our situation, in a very dry condition, a desert, I mean, I need to irrigate the trees, so it's very difficult. But there are some trees that are well adapted, and, and we have in Mendoza some trees, Algarrobo, Chañar, different uh, trees that are adapted and, and well, studying um, how to cultivate them. I mean, you need to irrigate maybe twice, three times, and then they get established and they get fixed carbon uh, without water. Okay. It's just learning how to, to, to work uh, with different yeah, okay. uh, areas. And Mafalda, you have the last word here. <laughs> well, I, I think that more than learn from other sectors, I think that we should be working with other sectors. Uh, uh, and I think that collaborating with other sectors will, will, will bring a new, a new perspective to the wine industry. And I think this will be very helpful if you work all together to find impactful solutions uh, rather than just putting everything in different sectors. I think that, thank you very much. And I think that's a very good place to, to end um, the, the need for collaboration, which at the end of the day is what SWR exists for. Um, it's to try and create, I mean, it's interesting. Someone just sort of said that often in um, in, in a lot of wine debates, there's quite a lot of fissiparousness. It, it, it doesn't necessarily pull together. And that's what I hope we're able to do. And, you know, this, this um, seminar today is, is the first step in that process. But for the sake of now, Hans, Anna, Luis, Mafalda, thank you so very much. Mm -hmm.